there's this thing about companies where they feel like once they've hit a certain milestone, it's like, we don't need marketing anymore. I'm like, no, it's ever evolving. Your consumers are ever changing. The landscape is constantly evolving. Welcome to the Brand Brief Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends on the business side of fashion, beauty, entertainment, and the impact of technology on driving brand growth. This podcast is powered by Brand Method Media Group, and I'm your host, Kelly Kelly. Today's guest is Whitney Osei Akintaju of the Cataline Group. The Cataline Group is a business coaching and consulting firm for tech, e-commerce, and CPG startups. Welcome to the show, Whitney. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So I would love to start with the inspiration behind the company. Like, how did you come to identify the need and then say, I have a solution? Sure. So a few years ago, I launched my own tech startup, which was an e-commerce marketplace for African CPG brands. So we were essentially like Amazon for African products. We worked with African brands all over the world, some that were based in Africa. They would ship us their items. We would take care of payment processing, warehousing, last mile logistics. Um, That way they could sell to consumers here in the U.S. and basically scale. So I ran that for about six years. And in the course of running my business, boy, did I learn a lot. (laughs) And the, the one thing that I learned was that I actually didn't know anything. And so I made so many mistakes during my startup journey. And so with the Catline Group, I'm hoping that I can leverage a lot of that knowledge that I've gained as an entrepreneur to help other businesses grow and scale sustainably. That way they can avoid, you know, all the crazy mistakes that I made when I was a founder. So we're working with a lot of e-commerce, tech startups, CPG brands, and our goal is for them to just really scale sustainably and build some amazing businesses and products. That's awesome. So you all offer coaching and consulting. What is that experience like? We hear the term coach quite a bit. We've heard of consulting. What's the difference and what is that experience like for either of those with the Cataline Group? Sure, that is a phenomenal question uh, because a lot of people do get those two things confused. So I would liken coaching to therapy in the sense that when you go to a therapist, right? Their job is not to work through your problems for you. What they will do is give you a kind of framework to work through your own problems and then hold you accountable along the process. So when you start a uh, coaching relationship with the Catline Group, what we do first is look at your businesses, dive deep into the challenges that you're facing, what your strengths are, what your successes are. And then we help you build out a roadmap of how you want to navigate through all of those different challenges and what success looks like for you at the very end. So one of our coaching clients, what they wanted help with was like navigating funding. So trying to determine what is the best source of funding for my business. A lot of businesses think you just start and go straight to investors. And I'm like, no, there's grants, there's pitch competition. So that's what we do on the coaching side. And as far as consulting, our consulting um, services are really great for 
a business that needs help with a specific task or a specific project. So let's say you guys are scaling, you're growing really fast, and now you need to put some operational procedures and SOPs in place. That's when you would come to us for consulting. We'd build out the strategy with you. We'd make sure that you have the right people on board, the right research resources. And it's usually within a set time frame. So whether that's a month, three months, a year, that's how we work with our clients when it comes to consulting. So in looking at the different types of funding and the, the, the different stages of business, when you're just starting out looking at maybe an exit strategy or looking at, I want to keep this business and hold on to it. Are there different options for funding when it comes to either of those? Sure. So, and you've brought up a great point. That's why it's really important to think about what you want your exit strategy to be very early on, because it's going to dictate a lot of the decisions that you make. So you talked about wanting to be acquired or like wanting to sell your company to another company. So for that, you're going to need to grow exponentially. Um, So for that type of company where you're looking for an acquisition or an IPO at the exit, you are going to need a lot of funding. You might need VC capital. You're going to need large sums of money. Now, if you're a small business and you're hoping to pass this company on to your child or your family member or whatever, in that sense, profitability becomes very, very important. And so for either one of those companies, no matter what, when people start their companies, they're usually starting off with their own step one. After that, you can do a crowdfunding campaign. There's platforms like iFundWomen and Kickstarter and Indiegogo that allow you to create a campaign, generate income, essentially, to fund your business. And then it also gives you the opportunity to test your product out in the market and say, hey, do people actually want what I'm building before I spend all of this money building this product or this business? After crowdfunding, I would go in on grants and pitch competitions, especially for uh, businesses where the founders are people of color, women, minorities. We get significantly less access to capital. So grants are going to be the way to go for us because it's significantly harder for us to get VC capital and investors. So once you've done those three, then you can start because if you've done all those three at that point, you've got some traction going. So you have something to go to investors with and say, hey, I have this amazing product. I'm growing exponentially. I need your money to get me to the next milestone. What I will say though, I would never take on debt to run a business in the early stages. 90% of businesses will fail. And the last thing you want to do is pour your entire life savings or get this astronomical amount of debt. And then once the business crashes, you're still going to be responsible for paying that back to the bank. And so debt would be the last option for me if I was starting a business. So those are just like some of the- At what stage? You said early, if you were talking in the early stages, what constitutes early before you would consider debt? It depends on what your business is, right? If you are at a stage where you have exhausted every other option, that's when I would go get debt. If you haven't tried grants, if you haven't tried pitch competitions, if you haven't tried investors, I would not go and get debt for my business. Now, there are times when you have no choice but to take on debt to fund the business and just to keep it going. But again, I would use that as a last resort. I would not go into uh, debt for a business. Yeah. So I know one of the one of the niches you guys focus on is e-commerce. 
um, that industry, I mean, as technology becomes rapidly, as technology continues to rapidly evolve, what type of advice or consulting are you giving e-commerce brands on how to keep up? Because here's the thing, whenever we meet with people, so we work with B2B companies and D2C. One of the things that we try to get any organization we're working with to understand is that within these feeds, everybody's in there. So not just you as a real estate developer, you're not just competing with other real estate developers, you're competing with everybody. They're all trying to get in front of people because we're spending insane amounts of time on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, what have you. So the e-commerce space, I mean, that's there's tons of people in that space already. Then when you add on that we're all competing in the same feed, no matter what your business is, what are some key pieces of advice that you're giving to these brands on how to create awareness and how to get attention if that's within the wheelhouse of, of what you guys are consulting on? Absolutely. So for every business, right? At the bare minimum, you need to have a product that stands out. So for example, right now, there's a ton of people in the beauty space, but what is it about your product that is unique that someone cannot find anywhere else? It could be the product itself. It could be your company thesis. It could be your the social impact that your company is making. It could be the audience that you focus on. Everything doesn't have to be for everyone. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure if you go out there and look, there is a very niche group of people that love comic books and specific types of comic books. I'm sure if you go out there and look, there's going to be a specific niche of people that love a specific type of skincare product. You know what I mean? Like, let me take my business, our marketplace, for example. When we started out, we were selling every single product that you can think of. And we were kind of getting lost in the sauce because a lot of different people were doing it. And so what we decided to do was we kind of scaled back and focused on specific categories. So we focused on African skincare and African household goods. So instead of selling like the clothes and the shoes and the bags and all the things, we focused on those things and we became the best at it. So when you were searching us on Google, we would be the first to pop up. So that's what I would say. I would say find something about your company a unique value proposition, something that makes you stand out from everyone else. And you'll notice that your people will naturally find you. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It, it, I mean, it gets harder every day and these platforms require so much content. Even on our side, our clients are like, you need more from me? I'm like, yes, yes. to break through. Once upon a time, a few years ago, you would have companies, especially in the B2B space, like, oh, I'm only going to post once a month. And I'm like, let's not even bother because that's not going to, it's not even going to be a blip on the radar. It's not going to trigger the algorithm to do anything. It's going to go completely unnoticed. And and it, yeah. it continues. It, you just have to do more in a strategic way. It doesn't mean that you just spit out a bunch of stuff, but it's becoming increasingly more difficult to crack through and get that attention to kind of trigger the next steps to the process. Speaking Absolutely. of, how are you advising your clients when it comes to AI integration? Oh, that's a good one. Cause I have several clients that are using AI right now. And with like the ease of chat GPT, everybody's using AI. And I tell people AI well, personally for me, I like to use AI to automate a lot of processes. 
things that don't necessarily require a human touch, right? You can use AI to generate copy for an email, but I am almost willing to bet you if you copy and paste it exactly the way it is from ChatGPT, people will know that it is AI written. So we are not at the point, I tell my clients, we are not at the point with AI where you could just copy and paste. You're still going to have to add that human touch because people know that's not your voice entirely that's reading that script. And so I tell them, use it for things that don't require a human touch. I know for me, I use AI for when I am trying to get the words out, but I can't quite put them together. I'll list the mm -hmm. bullets. Here are the topics that I need to cover. Now help me frame this. And then I'll read it over and add my own personal touch to it. You know, just the other day, this is so funny. This is not business related, but just the other day, I turned on my laptop and I had this error code and I had no idea what it was. It was like a whole page. I literally copied that error code and dropped it into chat GBT. And it was like, you have this issue with your MacBook. Oh, Here are goodness. the steps. Here are the steps that you need to take in order to resolve this. And here's the disk that you need to format. And so you can use AI for things like that. It's not just like answering applications and give me ideas on content. It is really robust. But again, I would use it just for things that don't necessarily require an actual human touch. You can't let AI run your entire company. Your audience still wants to see you and hear from you. That's why they're coming to you. So AI is, is, is helpful, but it's not at the point where it can completely take over every single aspect of the business. Yeah, I agree. That's And I, I know, especially if you're not within a, specifically the marketing space, I know this time last year, so many colleagues that aren't in this space, I mean, they thought they had cracked the code and they, <laughs> they didn't have to deal with writers anymore or any, no. they didn't have to deal with graphic designers anymore. And to a point, maybe that meant you didn't have to have these huge teams in the in, in your marketing department. But I think a, a lot of companies jumped the gun in eliminating positions. And now we're to the point, like you said, it's very easy to tell if you have taken something spit out directly from ChatGPT. And so then what impact does that have on your brand when exactly. you know you could have had someone with the skill and the expertise, a smaller team, maybe not 20 people, maybe 10 people, but 10 human people with the expertise and the knowledge to say, okay, this is a good start, but we got to reword this and frame it a different way so that it makes sense for the brand. And I think we're coming back around to that because last year, I mean, they thought they had cracked it and they're like, we don't need you marketers no. anymore. No, you absolutely if you're going to cut any part of the business, marketing is not the one. Listen, you can probably cut back on operations, but marketing, finance, those don't are even, don't get me started on how that it, it it's a really weird dynamic. And I've had, I've taken more than a few calls from people who would be seething about having to engage marketing. They're like, well, we're just not getting people. It's like, well, that's what marketing is for. Like, what are you mad about? Like you need people to get to your to know about your business. And we've never, we never pay for ads. We never pay for okay. So how can I help you? What do you what do you want to do? Like, Probably why you're where you're at. <laughs> it's so um, and strange. I would, I would, yeah. And I would also say though, there's this thing about companies where they feel like once they've hit a certain milestone. It's like, we don't need marketing anymore. I'm like, no, it's ever evolving. Your consumers are ever changing. The landscape is constantly evolving. You can't just hire somebody for six months, 
help me create a marketing strategy. Oh, great. We've hit our sales milestone. Okay, bye. No, you've got to keep it going. It's a, it's like therapy again. It's never ending. You're constantly yeah. going to need marketers. You, marketers. you have to, and you have to trust their expertise. And this is the other thing that I feel like we've got to get away from. And, and I, I don't mean this in any shade to creators that share how they got to a certain point. Creators or skilled marketers or people that are internal high up on the marketing and then they share, okay, this is how we were able to grow this band by this. That's great. But this environment changes so much. What worked for you in 2023? Somebody just starting out, that same exact plan probably isn't going to work. So I think it's great to share. And then sometimes you have people that are like, well, I only posted this much. Okay, well, how long were you cultivating your community? And and what time was that? Was that pre-COVID, mid-COVID, post-COVID? Like all, all that stuff plays a role because we're, we're feeding a cadence to these platforms. And so by design, we become immune more and more. Like what used to get us to stop scrolling this time last year is not what's going to get us to stop scrolling, you know? So I think we just, we got to accept that we can all work harmoniously together. We don't have to be the bad guys. And we're here, we're here to promote the message of the brand and that there's a lot of value in that. There's so much noise out there. How do you think somebody is going to remember you or your company if you're not marketing? That's very weird to me that people think that. Yeah. And I think people have a lot of business owners have a very limited perception on what marketing is. They're yeah. just like, oh, I need a marketing person. And then you delve in deeper and it's like, I need a social media person. I need a contract. Like these are all different aspects of marketing. Marketing is not just like hiring somebody to post on your social media for you. <laughs> go get you like news articles. It's very in-depth. The amount, like kudos to marketers. I'm not a marketer. Kudos to marketers. The, a really good marketer, the amount of work that goes into yeah. them building your strategy, looking at your audience, looking at trends. Kudos to you, Kelly, because I definitely could do what you what you do on a regular it's, basis. It's a it's a lot. I've been in this business for twenty years, so I've seen all the different evolution over that time, and we we just try to focus on educating and working with and bringing in experts where we advise on you know, hey, you probably need because sometimes what we do spills over into stuff like operations. It's like no. You probably don't need this. You probably need to set up some SOP so that this stuff is getting done and out on time. Maybe that's where we need to start at before we get into your TikTok strategy. How will the content become produced? Like, how will we stay on track and how will we, that spills over into operations and that has to be tight and sold up. Otherwise we can strategize all day. But if we're not churning out on a regular and in a strategic way, it's, it's not going to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually have a client that's going through that right now. They've hired a marketing person and that person's building out the strategy. But then now it's like, oh, wait, we need somebody to create the content. <laughs> who's who's going to do that? <laughs> it's like the marketer can't do everything. You know yeah. I mean? It's there's got to be an operation side for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's super important. You know, we took, we made setting up SOPs, certain core SOPs, a, a major priority last year. And that was a thorn in my side. And it, it took so much energy to slow down 
and to do or to document all the little steps, but it has been an absolute game changer. We, I mean, it is profound how much of a game changer it has been because you're doing all these little things that only take a few minutes, but collectively yeah. it's eating up a chunk of your day. And so you can look at it and you can get caught up and you be like, okay, let me write it. I'm just going to do it real quick. I'm going to do it real quick. And then, you know, move on to the next thing. And it's like, by the end of the week, you've spent so much time doing a bunch of little small stuff that if you just slowed down and created a proper SOP and created a workflow and a, and a little two minute training video, you could pass that off to someone else and then focus on more important things. So, Oh Lord, you just hit on a whole word. <laughs> that is the single biggest challenge that I encounter with startups. It's like the founder started the business and they're used to doing everything and they don't necessarily want to do everything, but they haven't put processes in place to be able to say, you know what, let this person, let this person handle this. And so that's one of the things that we do with them. It's like, we build out operations procedures and standard operating procedures, and we build out playbooks for hiring, for fulfillment, for production. And so once they actually get to a point where like the operations is flowing seamlessly, you start to realize how much time you spent on responding to something that your VA could have done for you. You know what I mean? So that's it. That's it's, it. <laughs> it's it's hard. Even marketing. It. Yeah. You, know, you get founders that want to jump back in. I'm like, <laughs> I need yeah. you to focus on Yo, CEO stuff. I don't need you responding to social media comments. You know what I mean? Mm -mm. Someone else do that. And trying to cut costs by not hiring the right person, it's just going to end up costing you more money in the long term. Child, so. let me tell you something. I've learned my lessons. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, that's a that's a big one. And it, it can be hard, especially, like you said, if you're at the point where you're bootstrapping, yes, you are doing all the things probably. You and maybe one other person but there does have to come a point where you say, okay, this month, this quarter, I'm going to focus on committing to these two SOPs. If you don't have a firm like yours to come in and do it, then you have to do it. And it's, you feel like you're doing double duty, but I, like I promise once it's done, it's such a relief that you now have this whole workflow or project happening that you maybe just have to check in as opposed to 17 tasks, you now can check in two or three and just review and uh, and approve or, and, and you can move on and really focus on other things. It's a huge game changer. So I, I think companies like yours are super integral in going beyond whatever the business is. Because I think you probably know this too, being good at whatever it is you do or the vision is not the same as building a business that is sustainable and scalable, if that's your goal, and that can be, that can grow. And that's going to require for you to delegate stuff and hand off. You can't always be in the kitchen mixing it up. You got to be able to hand that off to the proper person and set the right people in place to bring forth the vision. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of founders, when they get to that point, they know, because at some point you're not going to be, <laughs> you know, it, we no. try not to get you to that point, 
But once they get to that point, they know they're like, I literally, and to be quite honest, right, as a CEO, there's way more important things that you can be doing than sitting on Slack every day. You're essentially the face of the company. You need to get out there and be making those relationships, building those relationships. So when the time comes, if you choose, if it's funny, you can go get investors. That's not going to happen with you in the weeds of your business every single day. No, yeah. you'll be burnt out before you get there. You, yeah. will, you will certainly be burnt out. Well, that's great. I really appreciate you being on the show. This has been such insightful information. That's going to wrap it for today. So thank you to our incredible guest, Whitney Osei Akintaju. So we'll have contact information for the Catalan Group in the show notes for anyone interested in reaching out for services. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks.